Greetings and welcome to Counterbeat Radio. I am your host, Jason Griffin. This is the progressively independent intersection of politics and culture. We cover business, media, politics, life, and everything in between. And you know, just for those of you who are new to the show and you're wondering what the hell does that mean? Well, you know, I'll tell you, um, I consider myself to be an independent progressive. And by an independent progressive, uh, it means a couple of things. Number one, I hate that the word progressive has been hijacked by the left and liberals. Not that I uh, agree or disagree with them, but to me, progress is, it's literally just that. I'm in favor of progress in whatever form that that takes. And then independence is something that is, to me personally, just hugely, hugely important. Because one of the things that I've noticed in politics is everybody is so all about their tribe. They're not even thinking for themselves anymore. It boggles my mind. I did a video on this on Facebook about just the absurdity of uh, political tribalism. It boggles my mind that if you take somebody on the left, they're going to be in favor of higher taxes. They're going to be in favor of abortion rights. They're going to be in favor of LGBT rights. They're going to be opposed to the death penalty. And if you take somebody on the right, they're going to be uh, opposed to higher taxes, opposed to abortion rights, opposed to LGBT protections. They're going to be in favor of the death penalty. And chances are they're lockstep with their tribe on those issues. Now, step back from it for a second and look at these issues. Um, Taxes and abortion and the death penalty have nothing to do with each other, yet we're in lockstep. Isn't that stupid? So that's where uh, we get the independent streak here with uh, Counterbeat Radio. Just to me personally, hugely, hugely, hugely important. And so for those of you who are new, that's kind of how I look at the world. Yes, I am what you might call a progressive, but more than anything, uh, I'm looking for truth and I'm looking for clarity and I'm looking for independence. So uh, that's what we do on this particular radio show. A lot to cover in the uh, short amount of time that we have. We're going to get to uh, the political beat on Roy Moore, evangelicals, and the church's message to outsiders. I think this is an important thing that needs to be covered when it comes to the sex abuse allegations on Roy Moore. Evangelicals have really not dropped their support for Roy, for, uh, Roy Moore. And you have to ask yourself, what is the message that the church is sending to outsiders? Uh, We're also going to talk about this Black Friday, this Black Friday that just occurred. Is it the last one? Uh, Some are asking that question. And we're going to get into the death of the department store and the world's new $100 million man. We're going to talk a little bit about Amazon on the program today. So all that and lots more is coming up. Do stay with us. You're listening to Counterbeat Radio. You know, lest I be accused of not covering the sex abuse thing from both sides, I do want to say this. Um, Not only do evangelicals have a problem when it comes to how they are tackling 
the sex abuse scandal. Liberals have some problems as well, and we are going to cover that on this program. How the Me Too movement ends, that is also coming up here on Counterbeat Radio. Hey, just a reminder, if you want to get notified of new episodes of this podcast, if you want to get all of our latest articles, the best thing for you to do is go follow us on Facebook, and you can do that by going to facebook.com slash the counterbeat. That's facebook.com slash the counterbeat. And you'll get notified of all the new episodes. You'll get uh, notified of all the new articles and things of that nature. So facebook.com slash the counterbeat. And of course, you can always find us online at thecounterbeat.com. So I have a question that Christians should be asking themselves, and that is this. Why would anyone not currently involved in a church ever want to visit or join one? I mean, I see the public invites on marquees, and I see them on Facebook as far as uh, churches are concerned. You know, come come join us for an amazing worship experience, and we've got videos that are produced. I mean, they're just really slick productions, right? And you know, it basically looks like a rock concert. That's the that's the appeal of the new mega churches that are popping up uh, all over the United States and all over the world. But if you're a Christian. I think that you need to ask yourself if the Christian community is really a place for an outsider. Now, I want to fully disclose that uh, I do, in fact, go to church and that I uh, am, in fact, afflicted with the uh, disease of Catholicism. Um, So uh, this is not like I'm some sort of atheist Satan worshiper talking to Christians and asking them this question. I I am asking this question as somebody who goes off to church myself. So if you're a Christian, how does the church look to outsiders? As long as I've been paying attention to politics, which I would say has been from junior high up until now, it has been, it has always been conservative Christians who want to talk to you and I about family values. And anyone who has had ideas that were not in line with traditional Christian thinking, I mean, these people were practically labeled as as dangerous. They, They practically are labeled as dangerous. And a funny thing then happens in late 2015, early 2016, Donald Trump comes along. And here's a man whose entire life has been lived about as opposite of the gospel as you can get. I mean, the guy's had several marriages. He has insulted minorities. He's had a complete lack of humility. He has uh, shown disrespect to our war heroes and their families. The guy's got a winner-take-all ethos on full display for everyone. And what does he do? He gets 80%, 80% of the white evangelical vote. Now, if you're a white evangelical, you might be saying, well, I thought that he was the, the, the better of the two candidates. Well, okay, so I'll hear you out on that argument. But you have to ask yourself, was the posturing among evangelicals this whole time, has it been just a complete sham? Was evangelical Christianity ever about trying to be a better person and live like Jesus would want you to live? 
Or was this always just some sort of clever way of marginalizing those who experienced the world differently and demonized those that dared ask to change it? Because not only can I cite the Donald Trump example, I can also cite the example of Roy Moore. You have Roy Moore taking heat nationally, uh, not just from liberals, but from establishment Republicans over allegations of sexual misconduct involving teenage girls while he's in his 30s. And not only do you see hardline Trump supporters and hardline Republicans saying, uh, we got to vote for this guy anyway, but evangelical Christians in Alabama, there was a survey that was done that showed that their support of Roy Moore might have actually grown. You've got a survey among Alabama voters, and more evangelicals said that the allegations have made them more likely to support him than those who said that they were less likely less likely it was just it is mind-boggling that this would happen evangelical christianity has a huge problem if this happens now the survey did say that his overall support among evangelicals did drop however what it dropped down to was Roy Moore still leading among that group, 55% to 34%. Let me say it again, 55% to 34%. This is a guy that's accused of trying to hook up with a 14-year-old while he's uh, in his early 30s. And so let me go back to the original question, which is, what does this say to the person on the outside? Who are these modern-day Christians? What are they supposed to represent? Are they a group that as a whole just want people to experience the love of Jesus Christ? Is that what this is really all about? Or is this really just an organized group of people who have decided to reject anything seen as outside of the traditional norm? So much so that they will rally behind a man accused of, again, trying to seduce a 14-year-old, 14-year-old girl. And they'll do that as long as he validates their political views. I'm just... I'm just saying, if I was on the outside looking in, these would be questions that I would certainly be asking about the evangelical Christianity uh, sect. For the marginalized people among us, meaning minorities and poor people and immigrants and now sex assault victims, the gospel teaches that Jesus has your back. It just seems that any more there's a good chance that the person sitting next to you in the pew doesn't. Now, one thing I don't want to do is act like Christians and conservatives are the only people who have to ask themselves tough questions when it comes to these uh, sex abuse allegations. Liberals need to ask themselves some tough questions as well. How the Me Too movement ends. Coming up, you're listening to Counterbeat Radio. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. This is Counterbeat Radio. I am your host, Jason Griffin. This is the independent intersection of business, media, politics, and life and everything in between. We believe in truth. We believe in clarity. We believe in independence. And we just so happen to be, happen to be uh, you know what I would say is uh, politically uh, progressive, independently progressive, though. Um, that is important. 
So we were talking about uh, Roy Moore and evangelicals and, you know, the the whole thing with the sex allegations and the Me Too movement, and it's just, it all seems to run together. And oh my God, it's just, it's everywhere now. It's people on the right, like Roy Moore. It's uh, people on the left. I and mean, actually, it's a lot of people on the left, isn't it? It's it's Al Franken. It's John Conyers. Um, it's people in the, in the Hollywood movie industry, Harvey Weinstein. There's tough questions that are having to be asked all around, and we covered uh, the tough questions that the evangelicals are going to have to answer. I don't want to be accused of not covering both sides of this, and there was an article that came out the other day, and I looked at that, and I read it, and I said, you know what? This is how the Me Too movement ends, and and I want to preface my comments here Aside from Roy Moore, which is it's kind of the political angle, and that's the that's the area that I'm most comfortable navigating in. When it gets to the the Me Too movement, um, I've never been one to shy away from controversial topics, no matter how uncomfortable of a conversation it might be around the dental uh, around the dinner table. But I will tell you that I have been reluctant to wade too far into the conversation about sex assault and the Me Too movement. And I'll tell you that part of it stems from not having anything new to add to the conversation. As somebody who does uh, political commentary, I'll tell you what I don't like. I I, I loathe the idea of simply adding another voice to the echo chamber for the sake of putting something out there. It just annoys me. And I'm not a journalist on the ground in any of these cases, and so I have nothing newsworthy to bring to the conversation. Now, as somebody who does opinion, I can add my opinion to the mix, but I try to stay away from things that others have already covered appropriately. And uh, I think that's already been said elsewhere very succinctly that you should not uh, pressure subordinates for sex. You should not try to hook up with teenagers. What could I possibly add to that conversation that hasn't been covered somewhere else? But let's face this. My real reservation is that I'm a man. And What that means is that my thoughts on these matters really only have so much weight, particularly if the observation turns critical in any way. And I've seen some good articles uh, written by women on this topic about their concerns of the Me Too movement. Uh, Andrea Pizer writing for the New York Post, says that her concern with the movement is that the trivial is getting lumped in with legitimate sexual assault. And she says that the result is that the movement is, quote, sliding into absurdity and irrelevance. And I read that and I went, you know what? I think she's got a point. I think that what she says has merit. But I also recognize that as a man, I mean, I just need to shut up and listen. I mean, the last thing that people need is me going, have you, have you seen this Andrea Peaser piece? Uh, I think she's right. The trivial is getting lumped in with legitimate sexual assault. Uh, you can say that, but as a man, I mean, it's not really up to me to decide what is trivial 
and what is getting lumped in with legitimate sexual assault. I am not a woman who has ever had a more physically powerful male force himself upon her. I've never felt that I have to choose between my career and standing up for myself. And so long story short is that Andrea Pizer can argue that what George H.W. Bush and Al Franken did isn't nearly as bad as what Louis C.K. or Harvey Weinstein did. She can argue that. I can't really argue that. I don't really have the standing as a man to make that argument. However, there is one aspect of this movement that I have concerns with, and it can be applied to any movement of righteous indignation. And that is the idea that we're going to be so vigilant in weeding out one form of particular evil that we're not going to allow the accused to defend themselves or be defended. And that is what caught my eye in the case of a guy named Murray Miller. He's one of the writers on the show Girls. And that is a show in which uh, the actress and producer Lena Dunham Dunham stars. And she is now apologizing. After she came to this guy's defense, after sexual misconduct claims surfaced, when the claims first came out, she released a statement on his behalf. And she said, quote, while our first instinct is to listen to every woman's story, our insider knowledge of Murray's situation makes us confident that sadly this accusation is one of the 3% of assault cases that are misreported every year. So she comes out with that statement. It's a strong statement. And then she takes heat for it. And so what does she do? She backtracks. Not apparently because she doesn't believe in his innocence anymore, but she backtracks because she, seemingly, it's because she was criticized for defending him during a time when every woman should be believed. So her apology says this. Listen to these words carefully, her apology. Listen to what she's apologizing for and listen to what she doesn't apologize for. She says, quote, I naively believed It was important to share my perspective on my friend's situation as it has transpired behind the scenes over the last few months. I now understand that it was absolutely the wrong time to come forward with such a statement, and I am so sorry, end quote. Did you hear what she apologized for? She apologized for sharing her perspective at the wrong time. She did not apologize for her perspective. And that, to me, that makes absolutely no sense. If you have true reason to believe that an accusation against your friend is a case where the charge is unwarranted, do you not have an obligation to speak out? Her original statement, there was no ambivalence there. Her original statement said she was, quote, confident that this was an accusation that was being misreported. She was not taking this position as a casual friend. She was uh, taking this position as someone with, quote, insider knowledge of the situation. Those are her words. And this is where movements like these really get into dangerous territories. Movements like the Me Too movement end when they lose their moral high ground. And that high ground is challenged anytime the truth does not match with the rallying cry. In the case of Me Too, we're told 
that every woman has to be believed. History tells us that isn't always the case. The movement is correct in that it is very much imperative that people have an environment where they can come forward with allegations of misconduct. Those accusations need to be taken seriously. They need to be investigated diligently. But it is just as important that we have an environment where people are allowed to defend themselves and others. Because an environment where one cannot be defended, that's an environment where one can say, even even on a credible claim, that there might be another part of the story that we aren't hearing because people are too afraid to speak on that person's behalf. And eventually, what you wind up with is you get doubt cast on every claim. And every case of true misbehavior gets robbed of its credibility. Outside of this Miller case, I've seen nothing in any of the high-profile sexual misconduct stories that have come out recently that would cause me to doubt any of these women's claims. Let's hope that we are not creating an environment where such information would be suppressed even if it were there. That is the type of environment that does not end well for anybody. Coming up, we're going to talk about Sarah Sanders. Did she humiliate the press ahead of the Thanksgiving break? And the death of the department store, the world's new $100 million man, and the last Black Friday, is that what just transpired? All of that and more is coming up. You're listening to Counterbeat Radio. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. This is Counterbeat Radio. I am your host, Jason Griffin. This is the independent intersection of business, media, politics, and life, and everything in between. We believe in truth. We believe in clarity. We believe in independence. And we just so happen to be, happen to be uh, you know what I would say is uh, politically uh, progressive, independently progressive, though. Uh, that is important. You can follow us online at facebook.com slash thecounterbeat. That is the best place to keep up to date with uh, new podcast episodes, with new articles and things of that nature. And of course, online at thecounterbeat.com, thecounterbeat.com. Hope you had a fantastic Thanksgiving break. Uh, The news media is just kind of getting back into the swing of things. Things just really slow down that whole week of Thanksgiving. It's just kind of a kind of a throwaway. It was interesting. Something happened in Washington, D.C. before the Thanksgiving holiday, and it just really made a lot of uh, reporters just mad. And I've seen this accusation in more than one place from the media that Trump spokeswoman Sarah Sanders humiliated the press before Thanksgiving. And I saw that. I'm like, well, how did she how did she humiliate the press? Um, And so what it was is she starts out a press briefing and she shares what she's thankful for to start off the briefing. And then she lays down the expectation that the press do the same. And the criticism is, is that uh, reporters are supposed to ask questions and the spokespeople are supposed to answer them. And that's that's the tone that I read the criticisms in. It was uh, just a real huffy, we are the media, uh, we are supposed to ask the questions, you're supposed to answer those. And there should be no pressure to socialize in such a setting as the White House. And you know what? I, I agree with them. Um But John Kirby, writing for CNN, said, uh, he put it this way. He said, the whole cringeworthy exercise made me embarrassed, 
for the reporters. So he's embarrassed for the reporters and angry at Sanders for this White House, uh, angry at Sanders and this White House for their arrogance and condescension. So uh, John Kirby, writing for CNN, is mad at Sarah Sanders because this is her fault. She showed arrogance. She showed condescension. And, you know, geez, I got to tell you, I am not a fan of Donald Trump. I am not a fan of this White House. I am anti-Trump. I'm never Trump in about every way, shape, or form. But isn't it on the reporters for participating in this exercise? Sarah Sanders' job is to speak on behalf of the president and control the conversation. That's what she gets paid to do. And if you were an Obama supporter, Obama's spokespeople got paid to do the same thing. They got paid to speak on behalf of the president and control the conversation. That's what a White House press secretary does. The job of the press is to hold that person and the president accountable. So if these reporters participated in a White House stunt that they should not have, it wasn't Sarah Sanders who humiliated the press It was the press. Kirby said uh, the real effect of the exercise was to underscore the disdain this White House harbors for the press and the press shouldn't have taken the bait. There you go, John Kirby. That is more like it. Sarah Sanders, uh, like her or not, and Donald Trump, like him or not, Sarah Sanders' job is to control the conversation. And Sarah Sanders did her job. She controlled the conversation, and you know what? She did it pretty well there. Uh, Failure to follow up and deciding that they have to participate. I mean, I'm sorry, press, that that is on you. So net neutrality is in the news. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on net neutrality, mainly because I don't have a whole lot of time to spend on net neutrality, but I did run across this in the Washington Post and thought it was worth uh, sharing As the Federal Communications Commission prepares to dismantle its net neutrality rules for Internet providers, a mounting backlash from agency critics is zeroing in on what they say are thousands of fake or automated comments submitted to the FCC that unfairly skewed the policymaking process. You know, it's just interesting that this is something that uh, people would be tackling with fake bots. It really makes you ask yourself, who wants to see net neutrality go away? And like I said, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on net neutrality, but I do think that it is worth uh, mentioning that this is uh, this is important for citizens when it comes to getting unbiased information. Net neutrality is an important thing to have. And I understand the libertarian argument of it's Well, it's it's their telecommunications companies, and they ought to be able to decide uh, what they send down their wires and so on and so forth. But do you really want to be in a situation where you have a social media package that you have to pay extra for in order to be connected with people through social media? Do you really want to be in a situation where uh, Comcast or Time Warner or Mediacom can just say, you know, we don't really like that point of view. And so we're just going to say that we don't have it uh, on our internet anymore. 
To me, that is a dangerous situation to be in. And with this news that there were fake bots that were submitting comments on net neutrality, you really have to ask yourself, who exactly is it that wants to see this policy changed? So you have probably seen this by now, but Jeff Bezos, Jeff Bezos, excuse me, is uh, the world's new 100 billion dollar man. I'm reading this on uh, TechCrunch. It says that after Amazon shares climbed on Black Friday, Jeff Bezos saw his net worth rise to $100.3 billion. According to Bloomberg estimates, Amazon's stock has soared this year. Bezos has benefited to the tune of $32.6 billion. That's the amount he has earned in 2017 alone. And uh, you can attribute that to more and more people shopping on Amazon. Now, I don't know about you as far as Black Friday shopping and holiday shopping. I just, I told my wife this, and will I really do it? Probably not. But every year around this time, I just, I say to myself, geez, I'm just going to do every single piece of it online. I don't want to go out. I don't want to deal with uh, the big box stores. I would love to go out and find something from a local business. I think that would be fine. But as far as the big retailers, I would just I would just prefer to uh, stay away. If you're if you're into uh, into business and just kind of new thinking in terms of business is, is concerned, I would recommend that you read and subscribe to Seth Godin's blog. He writes. Uh, a lot of good stuff. And he had a blog post that was up the other day called The Last Black Friday. He says, four years ago, I wrote about the media trap that retailers invented. With nothing much to write about the day after Thanksgiving, the media engaged in a stampede to encourage everyone to go shopping on the busiest, least satisfying shopping day of the year. They spent millions to create a social dynamic that pushes people to engage in an orgy of spending merely because everyone else is. And he argues that Amazon has changed this uh, forever. He talks about how malls are continuing to die. And he talks about how retailers everywhere are forgetting the real reason that we need stores. It's a, it's a, it's a really short, succinct piece, and I'll put it on uh, the website at thecounterbeat.com. He talks about how shopping together makes us feel connected. It's fun. There's something about shopping that's almost as good or even better than the buying part. And I just thought that's that's genius because that's what we lose uh, from stores today. They're not making it fun. They have forgotten that the shopping experience should be as much fun, if not more fun, than the buying part. Now, is this the last Black Friday? There's a couple of reasons why I think this might really be the last Black Friday And even if it isn't, it doesn't matter. And that's because there's a thing in advertising where, you know, it it has to be true. And when people figure out that it's not true, it just it loses all relevance. Black Friday starts what November 1st anymore. As soon as Halloween is over, everybody starts saying Black Friday savings start now. Well, if Black Friday savings are now there, there's no savings on Black Friday. So. You know, it's losing its relevance. People are wanting to stay away from stores and more and more people are going to Amazon and retailers 
both the big box stores and local retailers are going to have to figure out uh, how to make buying in stores fun again. So we're getting into Christmas season. With every Christmas season, we have the war on Christmas stories that are starting up. I want to talk about the real war on Christmas, and we're going to do that with our final word segment. It's coming up. Do stay with us. I'm Jason Griffin. This is Counterbeat Radio. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Counterbeat Radio. I am your host, Jason Griffin. Glad you are with us. Make sure to go to Facebook and follow us there. That is the absolute best place for you to keep up to date with all of our latest articles. Uh, You can get notified of all of our new podcast episodes. You can get notified of all of our new videos. You can help support The Counterbeat, which uh, we are brand uh, brand new, of course. You can help support us by sharing content that you like. It works out well for everybody. It's a real win-win. And uh, all you have to do is go to facebook.com slash the counterbeat and like our page, follow our page, and uh, that way you keep up to date with all of the latest that we have to offer. We are uh, what you could say uh, progressively independent, progress being, you know, hey, let's just make progress. Let's make things better. Doesn't matter if it's a conservative idea. Doesn't matter if it's a a liberal idea. Let's just make things better. Let's move things forward. And we cover the news of the day with uh, truth, with clarity, and with independence. That is how we operate. So every year around this time, there is a certain segment of our society that loves playing up the idea of a war on Christmas. And the final word that I want to offer on the radio program today is that the real war on Christmas is running on an ad near you. I mean, we have we have the view of the war on Christmas that a certain segment of our society uh, wants to believe is real. There was a prominent television personality who wrote a book titled Exactly That. Uh, a couple of years ago, maybe it's been 10 years or so ago, it was John Gibson who's a Fox News Channel personality, The War on Christmas, how the liberal plot to ban the sacred Christian holiday is worse than you thought. And this guy made real money from that book. <laughs> a, a, real, a real person wrote a real book and spent real time on it and made real money from it, meaning that real people uh, spent real money on it, meaning that they spent their time working for that. It's crazy. And the idea behind the so-called war is that people are trying to ruin Christmas through political correctness. That's the, that's the war on Christmas that a certain segment of our society believes in. And uh, the political correctness is used by, let's just say, the left. And they're trying to make the Christmas holiday secular rather than religious. And in the minds of the people who believe in this, this is executed by removing overt Christmas mentions from public holiday displays and school plays. And then, uh, God forbid, they're inclusive of other holiday traditions or lack thereof. The, the most egregious abuse, according to this line of thinking, comes when somebody says happy holidays rather than Merry Christmas. And uh, it's just... 
to me, I've always thought that this is just crazy thinking. This year, we are apparently worked up by upside down Christmas trees. And and of course, uh, Starbucks. I think I saw the other day that Starbucks is promoting a gay agenda because of something that they have done on their cup. Um, here's what I have to say about the war on Christmas. As much as some of us like to make fun of other people, for their war on Christmas conspiracy theories, we really should acknowledge that the war on Christmas is absolutely real. I believe that it's real. It's just that the true war on Christmas comes from a place that nobody expects. The true war on Christmas, this is me talking, uh, comes from big business. Every year around this time, big business does everything that it can to push you to buy things that you don't need. And it pushes you to buy things that other people don't want. And it pushes you to do that so that you can feel like you have successfully celebrated the holidays. That's what they want you to believe, that you need to buy these things in order to successfully celebrate the holidays. And that is not what the holidays are supposed to be about. Big business advertises crazy deals that only the very first people are going to be able to get on Black Friday. And then big business revels in the hordes of people waiting in line and fighting over what is what is essentially stuff. I mean, there's just people get real pressure put on them over the holidays and a lot of it comes from big business. They put pressure on you so that you feel that maybe you haven't done enough for the kids or maybe you haven't done enough for others. Big business talks you into going into debt in order to make Christmas all that it can be, quote unquote, all that it can be. And then they put pressure on their employees. They put pressure on their employees to hit holiday financial targets. And if If you don't hit those targets, here's what big business will say. They will say they've had, quote, disappointing results. If they didn't convince you enough that you need to go out and buy stuff to have a good Christmas, then they'll say that they had disappointing results. And then when those results occur, they will make themselves out to be the victim. All of a sudden, big business will be in the news saying things like, we are still trying to recover from a disappointing holiday season. People went out and bought stuff for the holidays. They just didn't buy as much stuff as they were supposed to do. And according to big business, a quote-unquote disappointing holiday season, that's a bad thing that you, the consumer, does for big business. And all of this, all of this is done in the name of Christmas. Just think about it. All of this is done in the name of Christmas. So this isn't, you know, an anti-consumerism rant. I mean, I work in business. I believe in business as a way to make our lives better. This is not a don't buy stuff for the holidays rant. I mean, if you want to go out and you want to buy some things for people or if you want to do some shopping, uh, go do it. Go out and do it and, and have fun and enjoy yourself. But as far as the war on Christmas is concerned, you know, who is guilty of a true war on Christmas? I think to answer that question, you have to ask yourself, who is robbing us of our time, 
who is robbing us of our energy, who is robbing us of our joy this holiday season? And if you honestly answer those questions, it is probably not going to be the cheerful secularist who says happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas. It's going to be somebody who is running an ad near you begging you to buy more stuff. So Christmas, what is it? If you are a Christian, uh, the joy of Christmas is the celebration of the birth of the Savior. And then if you're uh, not a Christian, or if you are a Christian, uh, for either one, it's a time of year to celebrate goodness. It's a time of year to celebrate those that you love. And uh, that's the good thing about the holidays in general, whether it be Christmas, whether it be Hanukkah, whether it just be the, the holiday season, we need more of those joyful aspects of Christmas this time of year, and we need less consumerism. Again, I'm not anti-consumerism. I'm not anti-buying stuff. I'm not anti-business. But if you want to know where the real war on Christmas comes from, it comes from big business encouraging you to just put an enormous amount of pressure on yourself. And I would encourage you to reject those external pressures that big business and society and you name it that they try to put on you and simply enjoy the holiday season for what it's supposed to be. And that is the final word of this week's edition of Counterbeat Radio. Hey, I want to thank you for listening and I want to ask you for your support. The best way that you can do that is by going online to Facebook and following us at our Facebook page. That's www.facebook.com forward slash the counterbeat facebook.com forward slash the counterbeat. You go there, you follow us, you get notified of all of our uh, newest podcasts, you get notified of all of our latest videos, you get notified of all of our latest articles, and you can support us by sharing the content that you think is relevant and that people around you need to see. That's the best way for us to grow. That's the best way for us to help the counterbeat uh, become something that, uh, that can be relevant to more and more people every day. So, you can do that at facebook.com forward slash the counterbeat. Thanks for listening to this edition of Counterbeat Radio.